down. They're just getting started. This is South Coast Tonight with Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. They've got you covered on all the news of the day. From local issues to politics on both sides of the aisle. This is the place where the movers and shakers come to be heard. To listen. And where they're held accountable. This is South Coast Tonight on WBSM. Show on Marcus 508 is how you get the program. You, know, you heard from Jack Splane the Bedford Light talking about some city council city council approving a few questionable uh, pay pay hikes among a package of necessary pay hikes for city workers in New Bedford. Bristol County Sheriff Elect Paul Haro called in to talk about his transition with Sheriff Hodgson and and his you know what he was surprised about when he. Um, what are you surprised about when he uh, when he had toured one of the facilities? So um, 508-996-0500 is how you can get uh, on the program. We'll also take messages on the WBSM app chat if you want to chime in on the conversation. Uh, caller had called in, and if you want to call back, you can. Or if anybody wants to call and talk about this, uh, you can at 508-996-0500. But basically, you know, they're talking about the uh, Voctech school admissions process. Now, it's an important conversation uh, because it's kind of part of the broader conversation about um, the, well, it's part of the, uh, you know, the the whole Shane Burgo and Ryan Pereira walking out of a city council meeting, that whole saga. So... Um, basically, you know, when Burgo walked, when Burgo and Pereira walked out, one of the reasons was there was a nominee for the Voctech School Committee, Carol Pimentel, who had said that, who I mean, who had uh, been tapped by Mitchell uh, to be on that committee. Uh, I believe she is a, uh, a believer in more open enrollment for vocational schools, um, and uh, Burgo had talked a little bit about that. During his um, during his uh, appearance here on WBSM, he had basically said, you know, there's um, the demographics of the school have changed substantially from when where it used to be. Right. And some one of the reasons is their admissions criteria at this juncture uh, is making it so that uh, students of a certain demographic of certain demographics um, uh, have a much uh, more difficult time getting admitted. Now that is a statistically demonstrative fact uh, that you know basically this 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 admissions criteria benefits white people. Now I know that 
it's not just New Bedford that's in this Vogue school district. Vocational schools operate as their own school district. So people from Fairhaven go to Vogue, people from Dartmouth go to Vogue, and people from New Bedford go to Vogue. Um, so go to the New Bedford Vogue. Not, you know, there's obviously Old Colony and Bristol Plymouth and all those other places, but they go there. Um, they go there, they, you know, learn a trade and may be able to, you know, begin their career as soon as 18 years old when they get out. I know people that did graduate from Boke that did begin their career as soon as they got out, you know, at 18 years old and have done really well. Uh, the problem is at this juncture that the, you know, they're, they're taking a, a lot of things into account, uh, grades, attendance and discipline along with recommendations and interviews, right? Um, every every vocational school in the Commonwealth that has more people, more people that who apply than seats available, their rejected population contains disproportionately these following groups. Students of color, students from low-income families, students with disability, and English language learners. Now, English language that those are people. English language learners are people who, um, you know, could be from Puerto Rico or could be uh, could have immigrated here that uh, speak English as a second language. So they need additional coursework in order to learn English. Um, Voke has a four point two percent English language learning population, while the population uh, while the city of New Bedford total has something like twenty eight percent English language learners. So, again, it's clear that there are certain demographics that are being favored over others by the admissions by the admission standards. Now, the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education had basically Mitchell and Mayor Mitchell, by the way, for people who don't know, is organized along with 23 other gateway cities in the Commonwealth organized um, uh, organized them and basically, uh, you know, had sent a letter to Jeff Riley, the commissioner of um, the, uh, the 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 Desi commissioner, and said, "You know, we need uh, you should change." They wanted a straight lottery system instead of the admission system before. They wanted a straight lottery system. Now they the uh, Riley uh, opted to uh, to you know make these new rules that basically say, you know, these school districts have to. Because Vogue schools are definitely are school districts. People from Fairhaven, uh, you know, Fairhaven gets to uh, send a member of the school committee. Dartmouth does. So does New Bedford. But um, basically, they said, you know, your your you know your admissions criteria have to consider um, being more demographically representative of the populations that you serve. And if you don't follow that criteria, then you have to go to the lottery system. I think there's been some issues implicating those uh, policies. Um, obviously, the mayor is supporting a uh, supportive of these policies and wants to appoint somebody to the uh, vacancy on the board or uh, the new position on the board that will follow those policies. And he believes that um, members of the city council are stonewalling this nomination to maintain the status quo of admissions on the Vogue School Committee. So that's his that's his position on it. 
I mean, I personally, I think Volk schools and agricultural schools, you know, uh, across the state have been treated essentially like de facto, like prep schools. And, you know, the problem is a lot of the trades, you know, everybody's, I think, capability, not all skills are transferable, right? Just because you're a good student doesn't mean you're a good tradesperson, right? And just because doesn't mean you're good at any of the, the trades that are necessarily available. Just because you're not as, just because you don't excel academically doesn't mean you won't excel in a trade. Skills, not all skills, not all abilities are transferable. You can't say this guy's really, really smart. He's going to be a great plumber. He could, he might be, but he might not be, right? I'm somebody that's considered to be like, good academically, right? I went Dean's List at Bridgewater. I went to law school, graduated, you know, but I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know any of that stuff. I don't know anything about trades, you know, uh, cars, any of that stuff. I, I uh, uh, electrical work. I am probably the least handy person that you've ever met. So people who sell it, and I know there's other programs that are available. There's, there's legal programs and things like that, but there are still excluding some people who may not be as good academically that are not, um, that, uh, could be, could excel in a trade. And that's the that's the argument Mayor Mitchell is putting forward. That's the argument that the 23 other gateway city mayors put forward uh, when they asked for these new uh, these new um, admissions policies. Let's go back to the phones. Good evening. Good evening, Marcus. But, um, talking about the admissions of bulk, we talk about the demographics, right? But let's go ahead and dissect that a little bit. So, okay, you say Bayhaven. So, Bayhaven, Dartmouth, right? The, different, the demographics in those two towns are considered what morally white, correct? Yeah, no, I, I would say so. I'd say probably okay. Dartmouth's probably Dartmouth's about thirty-five thousand people, so they're probably a bit more racially diverse than Fairhaven is. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's I would say that's correct. Yeah. So okay. So the only demographic we're really talking about is New Bedford, right? Because yeah. Because you think New Bedford has one hundred ten thousand people. Um, so New Bedford has the most diversified out of those three, Bayhaven, uh, Dartmouth, and so and so. So the majority of folk students are coming from New Bedford. Mm-hmm. So they're not coming from Bayhaven or Dartmouth. You get majority that are coming. Mostly they're going to Dartmouth High or Bayhaven High. Yeah. And not going to vote, going, going to O'Connor. Now, right. the, the, the reason why some go to O'Connor is because they didn't make it to vote and they go to O'Colony. Are they able to? I thought O'Colony was just like Rochester or Cushnet. Um, I think I, I'm, if they yeah, right. So it's all Rochester, right? It's all regional. So they, it's all it's all regional. Like Diamond is uh, Diamond's Westport, Fall River, um, maybe some of the other towns in that area. Uh, Greater New Bedford Folk is like New Bedford and the surrounding towns. I think yeah. Old Colony is. Uh, Rochester, Cushnet, maybe Freetown. I don't know the entire uh, yeah. demographic it serves. So it would be nice to get maybe a statistic of 
how diverse Vogue is now compared to what it was, say, 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, if you go on the uh, Vogue itself, you do see a lot of diverse students that are going there now. So the argument would be, say, okay, how come some students can make it and some can't? It has to do would with you say according students. to their website? That, or? I mean, or if you look around, if you go to the Vogue itself and you walk around, Okay. You, you see students around the diverse side versus um, other schools. Yeah. I mean, you can say that because Oak has, what, 2,000 students, and New River High has, like, probably 5,000 students or 6,000. Sure. Because they're a bigger school, and a lot of people mm-hmm. go to High. But the thing about Vogue is you more admissions for Vogue. Then you're going to start having just ordinary kids that don't even try to or shoot for higher grades because now they don't have to because now it's just going to be part of the lottery system and you get into Vogue and there's nothing to really shoot for if you're in the middle school for students who probably want to go to Vogue but they know they have that good grade with attendance if you don't have anything to shoot for then those students just don't have to try I mean class, people you know? who apply themselves academically uh, typically, just apply themselves academically. Yeah, that could yeah. be a mo- that could be a motivator for sure. If, if someone wants to go to folk, they might, you know, they might they might do that. But typically, students who want to do well just do well. You know, I don't think you're going to have fewer quality students because, or you're going to have fewer students that try overall. I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on on that. It doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, because. You'd probably want to, people who do well usually typically just want to do well, or they're able to do well. People who don't necessarily do well, it isn't because they are academically, it isn't because they don't want to, it's because they can't. So, yeah. But then when you're talking about the lobbies, now you've got a lobby shooting for those students. But then how do you break down the shop cycles where you only have so many slots for that shop, and now you have to come up with another system? to be diversified. Yeah, maybe a strict lottery isn't the shop. maybe the strict maybe a strict lottery isn't the answer. I mean, that was something Mayor Mitchell advocated for right. for and I, and I I had actually hoped to talk to him more about that at some point in the new year because this 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 school if the if he's what he's saying is right about the city council basically or members of the city council trying to hold up the school committee appointment, it's because there are members of the city council that are that have a problem with this admission standard. So it's, yeah. it's definitely something we need to continue because it, 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 that impacts, you know, impacts every, you know, this, this entire region, this, who wanted to send students to the, the schools and, you know, they're, yeah. you know. So. And the thing too, Tara, they've done a lot better than when I first went there because when I first went there, there was no exploratory shops. So you, I mean, in seventh grade or eighth grade, okay, you chose what shops you wanted to go first, second and yeah. third. But you had no idea, basically, what shops you're going into because there was no really information about them. So right. it was kind of like a shot in the dark. And if you look back at maybe the, the student body that I went to school graduated, uh, probably 80% probably didn't graduate with the shops that they did because when they first chose their shops in, in middle school, they had no idea what they were going for. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounded good. Oh, I think I'm going to be this. But then you get in that shop and you kind of, oh, no. Well, you graduate and you find out, I went for four years, I really don't like the shop I was in. Right. So they've come a long way where they have an exploratory program 
what you go through every shop for like a week in your freshman year, trying to get an idea of what shop you might like. And that's come a long way to the fact that it was easy for the students to decide, okay, maybe that's not going to be the shop I want to do, or I want to do something different. Right. So they come a long way as far as their way of thinking about doing things as far as that goes, but they still have the same thing as far as admissions and the school attendance and, and not getting to fights and stuff like that to get into school because now they only have a certain slot. So like you said, admissions is one thing, but then picking shops is another thing because if 50 people want the electric shop, they only have 25 slots. Now, how do you pick those 25 out of the 50, you know? No, I hear you. I I don't know if the if the lottery like I I need more clarification no. on the lottery system. If the lottery system would be based on the shops and all of that stuff, uh, you know, again, that might not be the answer. But there probably has to be something done to better reflect, you know, the attendance records of the school. You know, when I had Eric Lesser on, he didn't end up winning, but he talked about basically, you know, ending the wait lists to Vogue schools and trying to expand the admissions uh, capacity for them because they provide such a valuable service and because it would impact the labor market, which which, you know, like you pointed out earlier, has a significant shortage. But, hey, listen, i got to take this break. I appreciate okay. you calling in. Thank you. 1420 WBSM. Come back to the show, 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hey, Marcus, back at you again. What's up? Uh, well, uh, was that Mr. Beauregard that tried to call in? Yes. Okay. Um, oh, he wanted to, uh, you know, we talked to, I, I talked to him a bit after, um, you know, he wanted to say that, you know, not a single city councilor or anybody in city government has gotten uh, Section 8 or public housing um, because um, uh, of their position, that he's never done that. And um, that's uh, and yeah, that was that was basically, um, you know, what he had uh, what he had wanted to clarify. And that Section 8 and public housing are two different things. He also said that. Trip Towers, uh, the the 50% of Trip Towers people being um, under the age that it was meant for. He said that's that's wholly untrue. That's that's what he had told me uh, when I had spoken with him. Uh, I give I gave him a call off air after he called in. Yeah, I mean the idea is take take a walk down Trip Towers and see the people in there and and talk to the people on the buses, the seniors that are scared to death of what's going on down there. It's like I can't. I, I'm having a hard time hearing you, Tom. Well, Ralph Sonia would turn over at his grave for, for what's happening down there. And here's his one. You know, with Section Eight has nothing to do with public housing. Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah Section they, Eight housing and public housing are two different things. Yeah, but but they accept Section Eight people in public housing, right? Yeah, I'm not as well versed on it. Um, they accept yeah. Section Eight people in public housing. They're two different programs. Right, but if you qualify, but you, you for can a you can call. Yeah, 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 yeah. You can qualify you, you, for you can qualify for one or the other. Sure. Well, you apply for Section Eight housing at the housing authority. Mm-hmm. Okay, and they have jurisdiction over that, and they have jurisdiction over the list. And and here's one that he may want to uh, comment on. Uh, you know, Ollie McNamee, right? She was the director of Catholic Social Services, a wonderful uh, administrator. Uh, did a lot of unbelievable work in the community, uh, and then it changed. And now there's a new lady out of Federal Hill, and she has jurisdiction over the, the project down on Roo Street. 
They have a new policy down there. If you stay there for a year, you will receive a Section 8 certificate from the Diocese of Fall River. Okay. All those folks are from Providence. Then what happens to the New Bedford people? Okay. So, you know, there's a lot, a lot of, I don't want to sound like a noisy gong clanging in the wilderness, but there's (laughs) certainly, (laughs) and I'm sure somebody will use that. That's okay. I'm at the end of my my, my time here. That's okay. But somebody's got to look into this to see how that the whole operation works, you know? That, yeah. And for him to say that he's never got a, a, a call or never moved up anybody on a list, maybe he didn't, but maybe Bruce Oliveira did. Well, yeah. look, look I, again, I'm not, I, I can't substantiate any of that stuff, you know? What, Neither can I at this point. Then maybe, maybe that's there's a reason for a HUD review. Who knows? But uh, anyway, I just wanted to make that comment. I'm not sure he was very irate. It sounded like he was very irate when he called the first time. And, uh, We'll see. It'll just time goes on, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's kind of a, it's kind of a far cry from where, you know, we were at the conversation about, um, you know, about them holding up the appointment on the licensing board. Uh, I'm not sure if that had anything, you know. I'm not sure if any of that stuff. Well, you know, if you're saying what you're saying is true, is important, but you know what we're talking about is for one reason or another. There's, there's, you know, it, the thing is, is if they. <laughs> Um, if they want to keep Steve on the licensing board, I think that's fine. Um, that's within their authority and their right to do it. And I, I again, I like Steve. I think he's a good guy. Um, it's within their authority and right to do it. Uh, they just have to probably reject the guy, you know, instead of holding holding uh, that committee appointment and other committee appointments in perpetuity till the end of time, which yeah, is I mean, which is ridiculous. the which is which is a, a seeming which is. Looks sounds looks like the practice that they're doing based on the fact that some of those committee appointments have been uh, languishing there since May of since spring of twenty one. When you were in the council, did you did you ever? Did, did we didn't you, have put it this way. What I noticed uh, since uh, maybe the mid nineties, uh, the appointments and briefings committee became uh, the dump everything committee in there. Uh, and it, it, it forced the chairperson. This is, you know, I'll give a little, little leniency to, to Councilor Connie on this. And th- th- that committee has to deal with just about everything uh, that could be controversial. Now, the, the committee chairperson sets the agenda, and that's where the controversy uh, comes up. You know, because these things have been languishing. Uh, it shows the power of the chairperson. Uh, regarding uh, just about every issue coming into the city, there used to be other committees, so the workload would be spread. Yeah, uh, no, those and, chairmanships are those chairmanships are in, enormously powerful um, because you set the agenda. You know that that's that that's chairmanships. That's why chairmanships are so valuable. People don't pay attention much to them, and they really should because yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the consolidation of committees. Uh, to push everything in appointment and briefings, I think, was a mistake. Yeah. Uh, it, it didn't break up the workload enough uh, for uh, the 11 city councils. And uh, I, I think they ought to just go back and review that so that the authority, so to speak, from the chairperson uh, isn't so thick and overwhelming uh, for what goes on in this city. Yeah. Well, that's just my opinion. And then the noisy gong clanging. <laughs> <laughs> Well, All right, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. I, yeah, we'll we'll hear more from um, Councilor Carney next week on on that the issues regarding the uh, the committee appointments. I mean, 
they're, they have been apparently have been sitting there for a while, and uh, we'll we'll get some clarity on that. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can get uh, on the program. Um, again, we'll 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 have to. Uh, Mayor Mitchell made some comments about uh, about the. Uh, about it burgo had they both accused her of trying to hold everything up uh she said not true she told me today she sets her agenda you know as soon as the chairmanships are handed out which means when she gets her chairmanship um she makes the agenda and so she said she didn't get any notice from ian or brian that they weren't going to be in until like before the meeting like she didn't know ahead of time that they weren't going to be in. that's what she told me um because she read two letters um into the record on that and she said lima left she didn't know lima was going to leave but scott lima called into this show last week and i you know about something else but i asked him about this and he had said typically it's not okay it's not um uh typically you don't schedule council meetings or committee meetings at this time uh of the year that was those were his comments on it so Anyway, 508-996-0500. I'll tell you what. I'm going to take uh, a break a little bit early now, and then we'll be right back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Listen to us live anywhere in the world on the WBSM app. Force needs work. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Many of you might not know this, but my 22-year-old son has autism. So do I. My name is Kevin Valdez, and my intellectual difference makes me the passionate actor that I am. And I'm Mackenzie Cohen, a Paralympian with a developmental difference. Did you know that 97% of HR professionals say that employees with disabilities perform the same or better than their peers without disabilities? Yet still, the differently abled face so many employment challenges in this country. It is time we start building a workforce that works for all a workforce that is diverse inclusive and equitable for those with intellectual differences and for those with developmental differences too a workforce that recognizes that our greatest strengths lie in our differences it is time we hire inclusively join us delivering jobs and the sherm foundation and creating pathways to 1 million jobs and leadership opportunities please visit deliveringjobs.org. Teachers shape the future. Right now, in a classroom somewhere in the United States, there's a teacher inspiring a future scientist who'll make preventing pandemics their life's work. Sharpening the mind of an aspiring environmentalist who'll help combat climate change and generating possibilities for a student who'll be the first in their family to graduate college. Explore a career that leaves a legacy you can be proud of. Teach. Learn more and receive free support at teach.org. On the battlefield, there's a saying America's military men and women live by. Never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Off the battlefield, Wounded Warrior Project operates with the same goal. We leave no warrior behind. Wounded Warrior Project is a nonprofit organization created to help our men and women returning home with the scars of war. Whether those scars are physical or mental, we're here to make sure that they heal. And whether it's helping those with post-traumatic stress disorder live a normal life again, or giving much-needed support to injured warriors and veterans' hospitals, because no one deserves our help more than the men and women who risk their lives to keep us safe. Wounded Warrior Project. 
We never leave a fallen warrior behind, ever. Learn more about what we do at WoundedWarriorProject.org. If a natural disaster comes knocking, how prepared is your family? You can't just close the door on earthquakes, floods, or hurricanes and hope they go away. That's why it's important to make a plan now. Ready.gov plan has the tools and tips you need to prepare your family for an emergency. So if disaster shows up at your doorstep, you'll be ready. Visit ready.gov plan and make a plan today. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council. The voices in the night that cover the news of the day. I heard the voices too. Chris McCarthy and Marcus Farrow. More of South Coast Tonight happens now on WBSM. Welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus, 508-996-0500 is how you can get on the program this evening. So um, I did want to shift a little bit to, uh, I mean, if we want to call in or, or uh, text me about a, or uh, send me a Snapchat message about a, um, a more national issue, you, you, I mean, a more local issue, you can. I'll definitely take it at 508-996-0500 or take your messages on the app chat. But what I wanted to talk about actually is the recent ruling by the Supreme Court to keep Title 42 in place. That's how I wanted to finish out the hour. So Title 42 is um, it's a section in a 1944 Public Health Act that President Trump had used to... Um, essentially uh, reject people who were coming into the border, who were coming over the border outside of the legal ports of entry. Um, now, according to federal law, it's kind of interesting because though they've rejected 2.5 million, uh, there was 2.5 million rejections by Border Patrol agents uh, based on a Title 42 ruling. Now, what's interesting is, is that is in direct conflict with federal law that states clearly and unequivocally that people who come into the United States seeking asylum, right? If you come over the border and you're seeking asylum, you are entitled to a hearing. You are entitled to a hearing. It is very clearly stated in federal law that you're entitled to an as asylum hearing. So... This, so it doesn't matter if you come in through a legal port of entry or if you were to come in, you know, if you were to wash up ashore or if you were to swim across the Rio Grande or if you were to jump a fence or if you were to, you know, parachute into the country, right? It wouldn't matter. Uh, if you're seeking asylum, you're entitled to a hearing in an immigration court. Title 42 basically says, nope. Uh, you're not, uh, we're going to reject you just for, for crossing the border illegally. It's under the guise of it being a public health issue. Now, this is a this is basically um, an executive invocation made by President Trump about two and a half years ago. I don't know whether or not President Biden actually really likes it or not, because I think by and large, President Biden has agreed with a lot of Trump's policies on immigration, sadly. But um, but basically, the Supreme Court has said that they have to leave Title 42 in place. 
uh, at least until they get a hearing on the issues in February, and they will come out with a ruling in in June. Now, this was basically the courts ruled this five to four. Now, there's a six to three right wing majority on the Supreme Court. So there's a, the one justice who joined the left uh, wing of the court was Neil Gorsuch, who said, basically, it's not the court's job to continue. He said, this is not, you know, the what's happening at the border is not actually a covid crisis. And Title 42 is basically using public health to disguise what really is an issue in immigration policy. Right. They're just using the covid as an excuse, which, you know, most Republicans apparently don't even believe in in the first place, using covid as an excuse to um, reject people who are seeking asylum. Now, he also said it's not the court's job, which I agree with. It's not the court's job to um, carry out edicts of or enforce edicts from former presidents, you know, who when there's another president here like Biden could easily just say no I'm actually not doing that because the Supreme Court can potentially rule that certain edict a uh, certain uh, executive orders or certain invocation uh, executive um, orders or memoranda or whatever are like unconstitutional and that they can't be carried out but to force one to remain in place is essentially taking the responsibility of the executive branch. It's not a check. It's not a system of checks and balances. It's a usurpation of authority for the Supreme court to say, no, you have to leave it in place until we get a hearing on this. Right. The Biden administration can't now say, actually we're, we're you know, it was a former, you know, Trump, um, Trump enacted this. We're actually, you know, we're reversing it. It's an executive decision. We have the executive branch now. We can turn it down. No, they're not doing that. And what they're basically saying is that this Title 42, this obscure passage in a public health act that um, Trump basically enacted to um, reject people at the border, what they're saying is that, you know, it's they're going to leave this in place because apparently they have to because this is apparently... Um, a better solution for immigration problems than the laws that Congress have already written. Now, obviously, there needs to be more comprehensive immigration form. Congress has failed to act on that, and they'll probably continue to fail to act on it because, I don't know, it helps them win elections. Um, I, I have no idea. They haven't, they have not act on, acted, neither, neither, neither party in Congress has made any really deliberate uh, act on this. I think Republicans have been a bit more um, reluctant than Democrats to, you know, they had that gang of eight back in 2013, that gang of eight back in 2013 to, uh, you know, try to reform immigration law. It was a big comprehensive reform. Eight senators, a bipartisan Senate, bipartisan Senate group. Um, And then, you know, essentially that got, that got stone, that got stonewalled like, pretty much everything else in the Senate. A lot of people credit Stephen Miller, who was uh, working for Jeff Sessions at the time, who became a major uh, policy advisor to President Trump for helping that immigration reform to get killed. But, you know, um, 
it's easy, I think, for a lot of Republicans to say, oh, good, it should remain in place because, you know, they don't like immigrants and they don't like people who are seeking refuge and they don't like people from Latin America and they don't want them here. Um, but the fact of the matter is that there are people that are seeking asylum and some of those claims will have would have been granted in court. People that are seeking asylum because where they're coming from they are in legitimate danger from their uh, uh, in legitimate fear of their lives from the government that um, is in their home country, and they would have been granted asylum, but they got rejected at the border because of some obscure public health law. And let's be clear: the people who are enacting that public health law, they don't even believe COVID is real. None of. No, the, the the Venn diagram of people who think COVID's a fake conspiracy and people who support Title 42, the Venn diagram is a perfect circle. It's a perfect circle. No one is under any impression that this is an, a legitimate issue of public health. There's not a single person who actually believes that Title 42 was enacted altruistically for the purposes of um, improving public health or stopping the spread of coronavirus uh, 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 the coronavirus or covid-19 it's just really in service to you know the broader goal of the republican party to have fewer people from latin america in the united states that's the real policy outcome and that's the real objective of this and what's the supreme court uh, did today is frankly Nothing short of pure judicial activism. It's pure judicial activism. You know, you can... It's not neutrally based. It doesn't even make sense as a matter of law. It doesn't seem to correlate with the responsibilities of the judicial branch to maintain executive orders or executive decisions. They can rule that executive decisions are not constitutional, but to say, oh, this one executive decision that a president made last time that you that you were supposed to reverse, you can't reverse it. Yeah, no, it's never been really enacted that, you know, it's never been, you know, it hasn't been enacted before. It's, you know, it's an obscure public health policy that we're using for immigration purposes. Um, but you, you got to leave it in place forever, apparently. Or at least until we, the nine elder councils of the United, the nine members of the elder council of the United States can make official an official decree on it. This is judicial activism. This is what people talk about when they say, you know, this is why people say you need to pack the court or really rethink this, the, the authority of the Supreme Court in making certain decisions because they should not have been able, they should not have been allowed to do this. And frankly, the Biden administration should not should not treat that like a legitimate ruling. But I think the Biden administration a lot of times will use the Supreme Court as an excuse to not do something that they don't want to do, that people that vote for them might want them to do. I think that's the situation that we're currently in. Okay, 508-996-0500. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. 14 um, thanks for joining me this evening. Thanks to Sheriff like Paul Haro and New Bedford Light columnist Jack Spillane. Chris is going to be back in tomorrow. We've got uh, a lot to talk about. Thursday, uh, we're going to have Carmen Amaral, who is the uh, one of the Ward 3 City Council candidates in that special election. Uh, voting on that is uh, January 24th, less than a month away. 
so she'll be in with uh, with me on uh, Thursday, and then Friday we've got you know our Friday night shows, which are a lot of fun. So, yeah, um, I hope you guys had a great holiday. I did. Uh, I don't know if you kept your tree or not uh, after Christmas. I took my tree down. I used to wait until January sixth, which is like the day end of the holiday or whatever. But frankly. The day after Christmas, I was just kind of tired of it. So I took my tree down. I took my decorations down. And I got to say, it's a lot more space in my house now. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, my holiday was good. I spent some time with family. I hope you did, too. And, again, tomorrow Chris will be back. We'll, uh, we'll have a lot of... Um, have a lot of good local conversations and we'll have a lot of fun. Um, and we'll see uh, what guest that we can get uh, on the show on Wednesday. Kind of a light week, you know, holiday week. It feels light, you know, it feels like a Friday. Honestly, frankly, after Thanksgiving, a lot of th a, a lot of days feel like every day kind of feels like a big Friday. But especially the week from Christmas to New Year's, it's just kind of like, you know, everybody's still kind of in vacation mode. So... But we'll see you guys tomorrow. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for calling in. Thank you for messaging on the WBSM app chat. And 7 p.m. tomorrow, Chris and I will be back.